Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And the black Bible's there in your seats, that's page 860, if you'd like to use that to follow along. Jesus has begun preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons in Capernaum and in the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. And this morning, Jesus is going to particularly call some disciples. We're going to see how the lives of Simon, later called Peter, and James and John are transformed in a few moments. But let's pray that the Lord would transform us as we listen to his word together. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray. Dear God, we have heard your word read aloud. Continue to speak to us in these next few moments to teach us, to guide us, to feed us from your holy word. Would all that I say be true, helpful to your people, and glorifying of you. And all that falls short would be quickly forgotten. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been at a friend's house and they put before you something you've never had before and you're enjoying it or you order something at a restaurant because it sounded interesting and you're eating it and enjoying it and you just have to ask, what's in this? It's, it's new, it's different, but it's unfamiliar. You want to know what are the ingredients. Maybe if it is compelling enough, you'll actually stop and ask your host or the waiter and they'll share it with you. Uh, there's an example of this. There's, there's a show that Rebecca and I enjoy watching that comes on a few times a week where this chef who works in a professional kitchen, they will bring him a dish and he will be blindfolded. And then using only his sense of smell and taste and touch, he'll have to figure out what's in the dish and cook it and recreate it and then they'll score him to see how close he gets. It sometimes feels like that's what the church does when it comes to discipleship. 
we have this word disciple, and if you've been around the church long enough, you might know that the word disciple means follower. It's someone that follows after someone else. And we know that the church is supposed to be about discipleship. One of the primary verses that gives us direction and guidance as the church is what we call the Great Commission, where Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Go, therefore, making disciples. The church is supposed to be a group of disciples making disciples. Followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. As Mark's version of this passage says, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And yet there is a whole industry around this idea of discipleship. What are the marks of a disciple? How do you make disciples? There's curriculum and there's videos, there's seminars, there's whole parachurch organizations and ministries given over to discipleship. And yet it can feel that which should be so well known, so central to the church, distant and unfamiliar. Maybe it seems beyond us. This morning, I want to help us, as many of us here would consider ourselves disciples. Some of us would want to grow in helping disciple others. Or maybe some of us are asking, do I want to be a disciple this morning? To know what's in discipleship. This morning, we, we look at this passage and we find the ingredients, if, if not the recipe for discipleship. There is not a method here. and In fact, as we follow the life and ministry of Jesus, we'll see many different types of disciples coming to follow Jesus in many different circumstances and ways. But what I do think we can see here are the common elements, the things that are necessary for discipleship to happen. We're going to answer some of the questions of, of what it means to follow Jesus. What's necessary? But in order to answer this question, we need in part to realize, that, as I said, that this passage is not a recipe. You don't stir in one sermon from a boat with one miracle of catching fish and top it off by telling other people you're going to make them catchers of men. Now, for on one hand, Jesus is calling particular people to be particular disciples for a particular purpose of following him. And so what we're going to see is, though despite these particular circumstances that don't meet us, we're not first century fishermen living in and around the Sea of Galilee under Roman occupation and rule. Though we are unlike them, we can respond to Jesus in a similar way and offer Jesus in a similar way when certain things are present. Now, before I unpack what those ingredients are, I want us to first note what isn't here. What isn't in this passage. That in order for discipleship to happen, there is no requirement for pedigree, for position, or for performance. Position, pedigree, or performance. These are not men who have a rich line of important, special people. They do not have a pedigree of training and education. They do not have letters after their name that make them smart. These are fishermen. 
in this context as Jesus is establishing a group of people that he will teach, he will disciple so that they can disciple others. These are not men with pedigree. They're not men with position. They do not have authority. They're not spiritual teachers and leaders. They've not passed ordination exams. They are common men living in a common place. And they don't have performance. These are not men that have said, despite all of our challenges and all of our background, look at what we have to bring to the table. Look how much we love you. Look how much we trust you, Jesus. Look how righteous we are. In this passage, we have men who aren't sure that they can believe in what he's saying, who when they do what Jesus says and Jesus performs a miracle, say, get away from me. Because the most obvious thing about themselves to themselves in that moment is their sin rather than their performance. Before we can ever be in the place of inviting other people to follow Jesus, to catch men and women for Jesus, we have to be in the position of those like Simon and James and John to know that in all of our weakness, in all of our frailty, whatever we lack, Jesus can make disciples and disciplers out of such as these. If we don't start from that starting place, then whatever ingredients, whatever elements we seek to pay attention to, if we don't think it applies to us, we'll never actually try to put it into practice. With that said, Jesus takes these fishermen and makes them fishers of men. Jesus takes these men and makes them disciples and disciplers. How does that happen? What ingredients do we see here? It's four things I think that this passage points to that are essential. These are, again, as I said, ingredients, not the recipe, but first is the word of God. The word of Jesus. Then there is the person of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, and lastly, the power of Jesus. If we wanted to be disciples of Jesus, if we want to help others be disciples of Jesus, we need to understand that disciples are called, formed, and put to work through the words of Jesus. The passage starts out in the context of Jesus preaching. The very need for Jesus to interact with Simon and these others is that a lot of people are coming to hear the word of God as Jesus is preaching to them. And they want to get close. They say, Jesus is saying important things. I want to hear, I want to see. And the crowd is so much, so pressing in close to him that he can't function in his teaching. And so that's why he seeks to go into the boat so that he can pull away from the shore so that he can be heard and he can be seen by these people who are there for him preaching the word. But then it's Jesus' words that convince Simon to put out the boat. Notice the response. He says, Master, we, we've been fishing all night. We didn't get anything, but at your word, we'll put down the nets. And it's Jesus' words at the end, his promise his proclamation do not be afraid from now on you will be catching men that results in the transformation discipleship happens in the context of hearing and heeding the word of god 
First of all, disciples are those that hear it. We need to hear the word of Jesus to know what Jesus is saying, to know what his instructions are, what his counsel is, that he is even inviting us to begin with. Has has that ever happened to you where there's been a party, uh, there's been a wedding, there's been some big to-do, and you don't show up because you don't get the invitation only to find out that it got lost in the mail? And and you assume, well, I'm not invited because it wasn't spoken to me. I didn't receive that. It seems so basic, but without the word of God, we don't know that the God who often feels so distant, so unattainable, or maybe judging us, actually wants us, invites us, calls us. His word speaks against the assumption that we often have that God doesn't want us, can't have us, or wants us far from him. Through the words of Jesus, through Jesus' preaching, Good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. People hear the instruction of God and the invitation from Jesus to follow. In order to follow Jesus, we must attend to his word. We must know what he teaches, his instructions, his commands, his wise counsel, his words of comfort, and his direction. We need to listen in order to follow what is said. And then we need to heed it. When it is said, how do we respond? Not just do we know information, but do we believe that that information pertains to us? Do we think that this is worthy of following? Many followers of Jesus think of the word as sustenance for discipleship. We worship, we read, we study. But is it part of the formation of how we go about making disciples? Jesus starts with preaching and teaching. It is in that context in which Simon and the others get to know him. They learn his wisdom. It's in the context of Jesus preaching authoritatively about the word of God and the kingdom of God that Simon even knows this man and believes him to have any authority over him to tell him to put out his boat. So very often we seek, well, I want to share the good news of the gospel. Or, or I want to share uh, what's necessary to help someone grow in their faith, we often think that we need a bunch of arguments, a bunch of wisdom, a bunch of experience. But the starting place is the preaching of God's word. Is what Jesus has said. Not our authority, not all our knowledge, not our experience. We can start with the word of God because in the word of God, it shows them Jesus, it invites them to follow Jesus, and in listening to the word of Jesus is the opportunity to listen to Jesus. But it's not just the word. The other ingredient we see here is the person of Jesus, and maybe more specifically, an encounter with the person of Jesus, coming to see who Jesus really is. There is no discipleship purely upon listening to the word or even obeying the word. Listening and obeying the word often can result not in discipleship, but in legalism and often a rejection of Jesus. There has to be an actual encounter with the one who is speaking authoritatively. So through Jesus' preaching, Simon and these others begin to recognize that Jesus is an important person. They're hearing things about him. They're hearing things from him. And as they hear from him, they begin to get a sense of who he is. Well, this guy, well, he's a master. He knows some things. 
Earlier, we read how people recognized that Jesus didn't teach and preach like the rabbis that came before him, but he preached and taught with authority. And so they recognized that. In verse 5, Simon calls Jesus master. We might uh, make the equivalent of, of boss or chief. You know, okay, boss, you, know, you say to do this, I'll, I'll do this. There's some, some recognition of his authority. But notice the change that happens by virtue of witnessing his power. Look at verse 8. He goes from saying, okay, master, based on what you say, we'll do this, despite all the things that should rule against it. In verse 8, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He goes from calling him boss to acknowledging him as one with personal authority and power over him. That he probably has not yet come to realize that Jesus is the living God, but certainly he believes that he is one sent from God with authority and power. That in this miracle, this thing that shouldn't have happened, they were fishing at night because that's the better time to fish than in the heat of the day when this would have happened. They'd already cleaned their nets. It was a bunch of energy. They were fishermen. He is a rabbi. Some of you are engineers in this church that work with things that are used in aerospace. If I came to work and said, you know what you should do, you should make this circuit, you should bake it at this temperature, you would look at me and say, what are you saying? And then even more, how would you look at me if it actually worked, knowing that I had no background or training? You would be amazed. I won't do that. I can't do that. But Jesus did, and Jesus has and in that moment, Simon has an encounter not with just the concept of Jesus, not just the potential of Jesus, but who the person of Jesus actually is with power and authority not only to preach God's word, but through his word to command the very extent of nature and creation. Notice how powerful that this miracle is. It's not just that Jesus says, hey, you're going to catch some fish. We fetch, catch so many fish that their nets are breaking that they risk sinking these boats which are made for fishing, which are made for catching lots of fish. And in that encounter with Jesus, who he really is, Simon has an encounter with himself. That if this is who Jesus is, who am I? He tells Jesus to get away from him. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. In seeing Jesus, he sees himself more clearly. But Jesus doesn't send him away. He says, do not be afraid. Many of the encounters with Jesus in the Gospels are different. Sometimes he comes through an overexpression of power and a different miracle. Other times it's him overtly correcting sin. Sometimes it's through a parable that catches someone off guard. Sometimes it's through his extreme compassion, tenderness, and mercy. But what we see over and over again is there's a conception of Jesus, there's an expectation about what the Messiah will be, and then they actually see and meet Jesus. And it's in meeting Jesus and who he is that change happens. The words of Jesus point to Jesus. They reveal Jesus so that we can encounter him as he really is. 
And then it's once we realize who he truly is that we will begin to truly listen to and follow his word. Notice the difference. He reluctantly says, Simon here, saying, Master, we did all these things. I don't think this is going to work, but because you say so, I'm going to do this. Jesus instructs him. They say, yeah, you have some authority. Okay, I'm going to put up with it. To Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And how do they respond? They come back and they leave everything behind. That the encounter with the person of Jesus transforms the word of Jesus because they know who is speaking. Notice how these elements, how these ingredients work together. It's not just one, this one, and then this one, and then this one, but they work together, influencing and coming together to produce real discipleship. We hear the word, it shows us Jesus, and we obey because the word matters all the more to us. Often this is an ongoing process. As we see who Jesus is, as the Spirit shows him to us, we want to obey, we encounter him. But knowing who we are in our sin and our lack of obedience or holiness or power or goodness, it drives us back to the word to remind us of who Jesus is and what he says and what he's done. There is no discipleship if there is no one to follow. And how can you claim to follow Jesus if you don't know him? It is essential that the person of Jesus is encountered in discipleship. The Spirit reveals Jesus to us. But I also want us to consider that as followers of Jesus, disciples are to be like their Lord. None of us are going to walk down the street and have a physical encounter with the incarnate Jesus. He sits enthroned at the right hand of God the Almighty in heaven until he comes again. But Jesus promised his disciples, he said, it's better that I go so that I can send the Spirit. And the Spirit is living and active among his people. And what Jesus said at that same meeting with his disciples is that other people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says that in your love, people will know that you belong to me. People will see me in you. When we obey Christ, when we follow after Christ, we have the opportunity for people to encounter Christ in us when we're merciful like him, when we're compassionate like him, when we speak the truth like him, when we stand up for what's right like him. We are not Jesus, but we get to point to him. One of the ways we can do that is because Jesus is present with his people. The third ingredient that we see is the presence of Jesus. Jesus performs this miraculous event. All these fish are brought in. And these men now have the potential to be, if, if not rich and set for a lifetime, they're going to be doing pretty well. You've got to imagine, okay, your, your business is failing, you're struggling, being a fisherman is hard enough as it is, and suddenly you get the catch of the lifetime. Suddenly there is the opportunity to buy new and better bet, nets, a better boat, or hire a crew, or, or perhaps get a, a smoke shack so you can start preserving and salting the fish and selling more. You can imagine the opportunities that this miracle would afford, dollar signs appearing in their eyes. But because what the point of the miracle is, is to show the power and identity of Jesus, what do they want? They want him. 
The disciples left everything behind and followed Jesus. And on one hand, especially in church circles, we read this and we think missionary work. Oh, Jesus wants us to be missionaries, to leave everything behind so that we can go and tell other people about Jesus, so that we can go to a foreign land and share the gospel, or or to give up riches and fame and opportunity by becoming a pastor or missionary or something like that. And, And that can be an appropriate application of what Jesus might call us to. But that's not what's happening in this passage. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to make you into those who catch men, and they sell everything, and then they go away. What do they do? They follow him. The reason they leave everything behind is to be present with Jesus. They understand that the fulfillment of this pronouncement of Jesus is through following Jesus, walking with him, learning from him, being with him. In order for there to be discipleship, there needs to be not only an encounter with Jesus once. Wow, that was an amazing thing that happened one point in my life. I was at this concert and there was great, this amazing preacher preached this sermon in which I saw Jesus and I was converted. No, discipleship is an ongoing experience of the presence of the real Christ for which we would set aside anything that would get in the way of enjoying the presence. Think of it this way. Discipleship is not mere fandom. It's it's not watching your favorite team and saying, okay, I know the scores, I I follow this player, or or being a fan of a certain musician or singer and saying, I know all their songs, I've been to a few of their concerts. No, it's like being on the practice squad or being a backup singer where you see their performance, you see what they're able to do, you delight in what they're capable of and want that for yourself so you are with them, learning from them. It's been said of discipleship in this this age that the disciples of the rabbis were covered in the dust of the rabbi because they followed that closely. It's like, you know, those trucks that say, you know, don't follow too closely so you don't get hit with the rocks and spray. We want to be with Jesus so much So the presence of Jesus is absolutely necessary for discipleship. We follow Jesus in order to be with him. And when we are with him, we are able to follow him. Consider Jesus, who perfectly did the will of his heavenly Father. He withdrew from everyone and everything. The crowds loved him. They wanted to make him king. They wanted him to rule over them. They said, give us more, give us more. What did he do? He withdrew to be with his heavenly father so that he could go about that work. So we withdraw to be with Christ. A disciple calls others to follow Jesus because we are following Jesus. We want them to have what we have, the presence of Jesus. Consider what Jesus has given us. He's given us prayer that we can fellowship with him. He's given us the word that we can be with him by being reminded of who he is. He's given us worship that we can be with his people who point us to him. We come to the Lord's table in a few minutes in which all of the blessings and benefits of Christ's presence are made tangible to us. These are means of being with Jesus in these times we are with him. Confessing our sins, seeing him, seeing how he shows up in moments of need, feeling the comfort or presence of reading his word, the psalms that speak to our struggles. It might mean sacrifice. It will mean sacrifice. 
But it's not sacrifice so that we get him. It's sacrifice so that nothing will get in the way of enjoying him. Jesus doesn't say, you get to have me when you've given up everything. Once you've paid your dues, then you get to come into the club. We will necessarily want to get rid of anything that gets in the way because what we want as disciples is the presence of Jesus. The last thing that's necessary and that will be present when people are being made followers of Jesus is not only the words of Jesus, it's not only an encounter with the person of Jesus and the enjoyment of his presence, it is dependence on the power of Jesus. This is a miracle passage, right? This is a miraculous thing. This type of thing with fish does not happen every day. This wasn't a natural occurrence. But remember that Jesus doesn't go around doing miracles just to show off, saying, look what I can do. Jesus' miracles, they're illustrations, they're pictures. And they're often unexpected ones. You know, no one's sitting around saying, you know, Jesus, it would be really cool. We would really believe in you if you made those fishermen catch all those fish. No, Jesus chose this miracle. He willed this sign so that he could show people something. Because what he was doing with those fish was demonstrating to Simon and to James and John what he could do and would do with them. He's saying, what I just did with those fish, that thing that you thought impossible, beyond all expectation, beyond all reason, beyond all experience, by my power I am able to do with you. Despite your lack of position, or prestige, or power. Jesus is speaking through this miracle to Simon, to James, and John, and he's speaking through this miracle to you and me this morning. That discipleship happens through the power of Jesus to draw us to himself. It's through the power of Jesus that takes our hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh as the Spirit works in us. It's His power to show us our need of Him. It's His power to transform us. It's His power to rescue us from sin, death, and despair. It's His power, resurrection power, that gives us new life. Discipleship happens where the power of Jesus is. Remember I said earlier, these are fishermen. They're not Pharisees. They're not teachers, they're not scribes, they're not politicians. Jesus draws his disciples to himself that he chooses so that what can be seen is his power. If you are thinking this morning, there is no way that Jesus can use me because of all of my struggles, my weaknesses, my failures, my lack of knowledge, rejoice. You are the perfect platform and canvas for God to depict his power at work in your life. Better a man or a woman who says, I don't know that God can use me than one who assumes that God can and will in their own power and strength. Jesus calls those whom he can show his power in. Disciples are not ultimately made by a curriculum, a program, a system, even a particular Bible reading plan. Disciples are made by the active and living power of Jesus in the lives of men and women. For the disciples to leave everything behind to follow Jesus was to trust that he would provide. That somehow he would provide the sustenance that they needed for their daily bread because they're leaving behind their means of making money. That he would be a sufficient presence and friend 
and community to them because they were leaving what they knew behind in Capernaum. It was trust in his power that let them leave everything behind. It was a faith born out of an encounter with him, trusting that his power would provide as they were with him. Notice that from now on you will be catching men. This is what Jesus says. Or as Mark puts it, I will make you fishers of men. The disciples are trusting that what they saw Jesus do in the waters, Jesus could and would do in their own lives. Following Jesus in situations where he has said, do this that we've never been before requires trusting his power. It means often we don't know how Christ's command will work out. It means that we might do things that seem foolish, like confessing our sins to those that we don't like, being vulnerable for them, or forgiving others that hurt us, loving our enemies, which in our experience makes us vulnerable to attack, not to transform people. But wasn't what hasn't worked before, or what hasn't worked in our own experience, what we've tried before and hasn't worked for us, is able to work by the power of Christ. Last thing I want to notice here, and it's not an ingredient, but it, but it is a context. You know, just as you actually need a bowl or a pan to put all the ingredients in to accomplish the recipe, notice that this doesn't happen one-on-one. That these disciples are called together. That the power of Jesus at work is such that they're unable to receive it and respond to it on their own. There's too many fish for Simon and his boat to handle. He has to call to others. And others seeing what Jesus is saying to Simon come along with him. I just want to make it clear that discipleship almost never happens just me and Jesus. And if it starts just me and Jesus, it never stays just me and Jesus. Because Jesus has given us others to proclaim the word to us, to help us to see Jesus, respond to Jesus. And in the lives of others, we get to see the power of Jesus at work and be encouraged ourselves. Jesus calls us to follow him, and in following him, be used of him in calling others to follow him. I'll just ask as we draw to a close, are you inspired this morning, or are you defeated? Are you tired? Do you think, that's a good idea, but I'm just not sure that I can make this happen. Maybe you're just saying, just tell me how to do it. If it hasn't been clear, let me just end with one more cooking analogy. The French cooks are some of the best chefs in all the world. And there are special techniques that they have and special ways of doing things. But really, there is one secret to French cooking. It's more butter. What makes snails something you would eat? Bathe them in butter. All those onions sautéed in butter. A croissant layer upon layer of butter. You may not have all the skills, you may not have all the recipes, but you know the key ingredient, butter. The ingredient to be disciples, making disciples, is Jesus. More Jesus by his word, more Jesus by coming to encounter him, more time with Jesus, and more dependence on his power. It is through Jesus that disciples are called. It's through Jesus that disciples are made. It's through Jesus that disciples become disciplers. 
So if you leave this time with nothing else, seek and find more Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope of discipleship not being in us, but in you. In your call, your power to transform, your word to instruct, your presence with us always. Oh Lord, we pray that your call upon the lives of Simon and James and John would be your call upon us, that you would make us catchers of men and women. Not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, not so we can have more people in our church or more money in the bank, but so that we can glorify Jesus because we say, look what Jesus did, because only Jesus could do it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.